A listener's note. Some episodes of this podcast include discussion of death and other traumatic experiences. Please use discretion when listening and take good care of yourself. Human beings are wired for connection. We need other people in our lives, social connections, to survive. Connection is a link. Something happens. There, there's a spark. There's a completion there. Without connections, we feel more than just incomplete. Scientific research shows that loneliness can feel as real as physical pain. One National Institute on Aging study revealed that prolonged social isolation actually took years off someone's life and was as harmful to a person's health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Having social connections is especially vital when we are experiencing grief and loss. It, it just eases your mind to know that there are other people that are in your shoes, that have been what you've been through, and you have that special connection with them. The word connection to me means a bond. It means to be unified with, with something or someone, a connection that will help you, a connection that will inspire you, a connection that will empower you. If you have a good connection, you're going to want to be better. Connections, to me, it's just kind of a synonym for family. You know, you can reach out to them and say, I'm having a tough time with this. I feel safe around you. I can talk to you. I can, I can be open with you about this because you understand. Hi, I'm Allison Law. Welcome to Season 2 of the Grief in Progress podcast. This season is all about the power of connections, as told to us by family members who have lost a firefighter in the line of duty. Joining me this season are Jenny Woodall, Grief Specialist at the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, and Bev Donlin, Director of Family Programs for the Foundation. Bev, we just heard a few Fire Hero family members say what the word connections means to them. How do you define connections? Well, the connections to me are the bonds that bring us together. When we connect families that have experienced similar losses, it allows them to express their feelings with somebody who truly understands, who understands what they're going through, their pain, and there's no judgment. So it's okay to feel the way that they do, and it helps them realize that they are not alone. Same question for you, Jenny. How do you define connections? I always like to go to the etymology of the word and look up its origins. And connection comes from the Latin, meaning a binding or joining together. For our purposes here, I think of a connection as anything that makes us feel less alone, even when we aren't physically together. Social connection increases our sense of safety and belonging, both of which can be really challenged during times of loss. Grief can't be fixed so presence becomes really fundamental to supporting people who are going through that very unique and personal process. Thanks, Jenny and Bev, for lending your voices and insights into the personal stories we're going to hear in each episode, starting now with the story of Katrina and Dwayne Murphy. Katrina and Dwayne have been married for more than 34 years, but have known each other since they were kids. They enjoyed the easy rapport of a couple who've spent most of their lives together. Two people bonded together by love, friendship, and loss in a small town with a population of 792. We live in Montgomery, Indiana, 
It's a small town in southern Indiana. We were both born and raised. Katrina lived actually just a mile from me, but I wouldn't say I knew her. Um, Katrina was more of a country girl. I live south of the highway. Dad, my dad always said, stay away from those kids south of the highway. <laughs> Thankfully, Dwayne ignored his dad's advice. He met Katrina on the playground when he was in fifth grade and she was in sixth. They've been close to inseparable ever since. In November 2022, they celebrated their 34th wedding anniversary. I don't know if it was love at first sight or we just grew up with each other. <laughs> I think back to our wedding day, the vows that we made to each other. It wasn't the traditional vows that you hear at weddings. Uh, the preacher had us write our own, and that was something special. And you just think back to the, the commitment that you made to that person. I think one of the, the big keys that I've seen out of Katrina is forgiveness. <laughs> um, we got married young. Uh, like, I graduated in 86. I went to college to play baseball, and I could see that wasn't working very well. Um, I, I looked out on center field, and there were three other players standing beside me wanting that spot. And in high school, that spot was mine. Um, so I saw the competition there. Well, I end up going for a year and a half, and we come back, and then we get married. Um, all my friends were still running around and going to ball games and in the evenings and partying or whatever they wanted to do. And, and uh, I, I still wanted to do that. And, and I did that some. And, you know, she would get mad at me, but she stuck with me. And I guess she forgave me because um, I'm still here. It, it's hard work. You've got to take it seriously. And yes, you're going to have your ups and your downs and your fights and your arguments and and everything. But at the end of the day, you love, I love Dwayne. And it, it boils down to that. He's my best friend. Yeah, I've got female friends, but they don't know me like Dwayne knows me. Had I not married the right person, I'm not sure um, I'd have been married that long. And kids come along. Kids were a huge factor. Um, you, you realize you have a family. It makes you grow up quick. Um, I, I know there was probably a lot of people in our community that didn't, didn't think we would make it. Daughter Kelsey and son Kendall completed their family of four. Katrina worked for the Bar Reeve Community Schools, and Dwayne joined the family bricklaying business. It wasn't long before he followed his dad, Steve, into another field volunteering as a firefighter. Dwayne's fascination with the fire service started when he was seven or eight years old and followed his dad to emergency calls. And I remember dad taking off in his pickup truck and putting his blue light on and me getting on my bicycle and riding because we wanted to see the fire truck pull out of the station. And as I got older, I would go and help, maybe pull hose. As an adult, Duane helped his father at a serious fire scene and attracted the attention of the Montgomery fire chief. We get back then. Um, the chief says, well, if you're going to follow us around, you might as well join. And he gave me <laughs> a pair of boots and rubber gloves. That was our turnout gear. As the Montgomery Fire Department grew and became better equipped, Duane trained and developed as a first responder. 
When acquaintances at a nearby city department said they were hiring full-time firefighters, Dwayne was ready. Katrina had some reservations. He was on the volunteer department in Montgomery. And then when they offered him the job at Washington, I said, oh, but you'll have bigger fires. You'll have more fires and everything. He's like, but I'll be safer at Washington. I said, well, why will you be safer? What's the difference? And he said, well, I'll have better equipment. I'll have more equipment. You know, if I get in trouble at a fire, they know what to do and they know how to handle the situation. And I had never thought about it like that. It was a 24-hour shift. At first, it was hard when you're raising a family, when your husband's gone for 24 hours. I think within the first couple years, when he would be gone, our water heater went out. What do I do now? How do I handle this situation? It made me grow up. It probably made me more independent or just take care of things on my own. And every once in a while, he would say, well, you don't need me anymore. You can do that. I said, oh, yeah, I still need you. I still need you to to be here, so don't be getting any ideas. Duane worked as a career and volunteer firefighter. He and Katrina were very active in their community and in their children's lives. Kendall looked up to his father. He was very much a daddy's boy. He he loved Duane. He uh, respected him. Uh, you know, I've got pictures all the way from childhood all the way up of the two of them together. He just wanted to be where I went. And, you know, as a, as a young dad in the 20s and seeing, seeing your, you know, four-year-old all the way up to however old he got before he, you know, the teenage years, but, you know, wanting to do everything you did, it, it just made you feel good. But as he got older, he became a mommy's boy. <laughs> when Dwayne was hired at Washington and gone for 24 hours. Kelsey got married, so she moved out. So it was just Kendall and I at home. We would have good talks. We would, you know, just just having him there in the house was very reassuring to me. And then he went to college, so he moved out. So I was home by myself. But he would... He would come home in the summertime, and then after he graduated from college, he was home again. And just it was just that mother-son relationship that, um, yeah, yeah, I miss it. Kendall was an insurance agent. He was also an avid sports fan who worked part-time at a local golf course and coached the high school basketball team. Unlike his dad, Kendall never really expressed an interest in becoming a firefighter. I didn't see him excited about being a volunteer firefighter. I, I, I mean, he respected me. He he would ask questions. He would want to know stuff. But I just never really seen him doing that. When Kendall got a job as an insurance agent in town, I went to him and I said, hey, you're in town. I know your boss. He'll let you off for fire runs. You need to join the department. And then when I talked him into joining him and his his best friend and, and another guy, the three of them joined the same time. You know, they came down. We took hazmat classes down at Washington. We were able to do some training down there with them. We were getting them going. Kendall volunteered for two years alongside his dad and granddad at the Montgomery Fire Department. 
On Friday, November 10th, 2017, he had been making wedding plans with his fiancée, Jessica. Jessica left, and Kendall was on his way to bed when he received a call about a car accident with injuries close to his house. Kendall drove to the scene, parked his car, and began gearing up to help the person who had wrecked in a ditch. That's when he was struck by another driver, a volunteer firefighter from a different department who was responding to the accident. Kendall Murphy died at the scene. He was 27 years old. Katrina was the first to learn of her son's death. Uh, We had Kendall's dog at our house. All of a sudden, she just starts going nuts, barking. So I'm like, somebody pulled in. Somebody's at our house. So I get up and look. Well, it was his dad and his Montgomery chief are knocking on the door. I was thinking it was Dwayne. Something had happened to Dwayne. And I said, what? I said, what, what's, what's going on? And they said, it's Kendall. And from that point on, uh, it's a blur. I remember, I think Steve probably, I think he caught me. Uh, they came in and uh, sat with me for a little bit. Uh, they had me call. I called my sister and told her what she just lived down the road from me. I called my parents. Uh, they waited until somebody came to be with me until they went to the station to tell Dwayne. Dwayne Murphy was working one of his 24-hour shifts in Washington and had just come back from a run. As I backed the fire truck in at whatever time it was, it was after 11, my Washington fire chief was there. And he just looked at me, and he couldn't say anything. And as I walked to the back of the fire truck, I saw my dad and my uh, volunteer fire chief and then a, my nephew and a couple other people. I'm like, what, is, what are you guys doing here? And nobody would say anything. And so, you, you know, you've been, here in this, you've been here long enough in this trade that this isn't good. So I immediately thought of my mom. Nope. They just shook their head and I said, Uncle Jim, because he wasn't doing well. No. And then when they told me it was Kendall, I mean... I I think I passed out. I, I, I just dropped to my knees. I know that. And then they were there to take me home. Um, but it was weird because I was assistant chief of this department. And so I was in charge of training and all this other stuff. And I, I, I my mode didn't stay in father that just lost his son. I went to the assistant chief of I've got to go find all the training records, OSHA's coming in. I mean, I just went that route. And and so as we're driving, I'm telling my chief, hey, uh, my computer has all the training records. Uh, we'll go find these files. And he, he looked at me like I was crazy, I'm sure. And he says, you don't need to worry about that stuff. We need to get you home to Katrina. People just showed up at our house. It's a blur. Um, I couldn't tell you how many people were at our house. I called Jessica's dad to tell him, and um, 
that that was very hard and difficult. They they came. They brought Jessica. Uh, her sister was with them, and um, just people everywhere, everywhere until all hours of the night. And then when Dwayne got home, uh, we went back in our bedroom, and uh, we just held on to each other. Uh, and we had we had known other couples that have lost their child in accidents, and uh, he just put his hands on my face and he looked at me and he said, uh, "We can't let this tear us apart. We're still husband and wife. We still have a daughter." You have grandchildren, and we've got to be—we've got to be strong for each other. We can't let this tear our marriage apart. And uh, you know, he said, "Yes, we'll have—we'll have times where where you don't think you can go on, or you can't—you can't function." You know, that's why—that's why we have each other to lean on each other and to help each other to get through this. Uh, our, our daughter needs us, so uh, I'll never forget that. What struck me about Dwayne and Katrina's story is that they made a decision and a commitment at the most difficult moment of their lives to see it through with one another. They set their intention to stay together no matter what, even though they did not know what it would look like or how they would get there. We always have choices. There are a lot of things that we can't control in that situation, but making that choice was for them the first step of that path. It was hard because I couldn't see Kendall after the accident. Um, One of the EMTs that uh, was a good friend, she came in and she told us, you... I will not let you see him. You don't want to remember him that way. You you know the last time you saw him and what he looked like. That that's how you need to remember him. Uh, they did bring him by in the ambulance and they stopped at our house. Uh they let me hold his hand. Uh, which was it was hard, but I need I needed that. Uh, Dwayne and I both were in the ambulance with him. Our daughter was in there with him. Uh, both of our parents got to go in and hold his hand. Um, and then also, that was Friday night. Jessica wanted to put his wedding ring on him. And so we asked the funeral director if that would be possible. And she said, yes, that that's fine. We can arrange that. So on Sunday, uh, Dwayne and I and Jessica and her parents went to the funeral home. And, uh, you know, they had a white sheet over him. And uh, 
We were all back there, and the funeral director pulled his left hand out. And on that hand, on on the top part of his hand, there's a scar, and it is the shape of a heart. And it just, I just broke down, and I took a picture of that. It, it, I mean, it's a perfect heart on his hand. We get back home, and I showed it to our daughter because I had a real hard time. As a mother, you want to be there for your children in their most um, hardest situations. You want to be there. You want to protect them. You want to take care of them. And I wasn't. I wasn't there for Kendall when he needed me most. And then I see this heart on his hand. When I showed it to Kelsey, she said, Mom, Jesus was there. And that heart shows how much Jesus cared for Kendall and for you. And that's your sign that that he's in heaven, that God has him, and he's right where he needs to be. So that picture is so precious to me, and it's it's what I needed. The heart was Katrina's confirmation of Kendall's in heaven. I hadn't cried. I I couldn't cry, and I kept saying something is wrong with me, and I go back to where I was putting the fire chief scenario. I was I was more worried about that and not my family, and. Uh, it was either Sunday night, Monday night. It was before the funeral. Um, we go to bed, and I, I guess I was dreaming because I remember, I remember hearing Kendall come home and say, Dad, I'm home. Dad, I'm home. And he went, Dad. And I sat up in bed, and I said, What? And he's not there. And I, I looked at Katrina, and, and she, it woke her up, too. And I said, I just had a dream. I heard Kendall tell me he was home. And uh, I started crying. I just bawled. And again, we told our daughter about that. And, and she said, well, Dad, that was Kendall telling you he's home. So, um, yeah, that was my that was my breakdown of crying and, and my my confirmation that he's in heaven so um, I tell that story to a lot of people in our foundation that you know look for a sign of this or that or wanting to know about you know why they can't cry or um, it's there even though they both received signs of comfort immediately following Kendall's death Duane and Katrina struggled with how to grieve and with whom they could grieve. Grief specialist Jenny Woodall says it's important for parents to give themselves plenty of time and compassion while figuring these things out. Not everyone will be able to walk this with you. Some of the people who you have relied upon in your life will not be able to go there with you because it's just such an unimaginable experience. But people will show up to walk with you. You will not have to walk it alone. I think it's critical to connect with other people who have experienced the death of a child. Learning how to grieve as an individual is challenging. 
Sometimes it's even tougher to navigate grief as a couple. Well, grief for me, I I like to say, is unfinished love. When you love someone and they pass away so unexpectedly, you can't complete that love. Grief for me is hard to explain. I, I think as a man, you try to hold your emotions in. For me, my grieving is when I'm in my vehicle by myself a lot of times. I used to feel sorry for myself. Then I think of grief as, you know, if I wasn't hurting, that means I didn't love him. So I loved him with all my heart, and that's why I hurt. I just, sometimes if you look at grief as making you happy, and I know that sounds weird, to somebody that when you think of grief is all sad, but when I do start hurting, it's not very long. I have a smile on my face and I start thinking of all the funny things he did and the memories pop up. So grief to me brings memories and lets me think about him. Each person has to do their work and to know that their partner's path will be different than theirs, that we cannot fix it for the other person, but We can be present and give one another and ourselves grace and practice deep compassion and forgiveness on the days when everybody is going to be stretched thin at the same time. One thing that both Katrina and Duane have found helpful is keeping Kendall's name in their daily conversations. And another lady lost her son at a young age, and she was at our house. She said, you know, you, you will never get over this. You, it will be with you the rest of your life. It's something that you, you're going to want to talk about, Kendall. You're going to want to mention his name. Do it. Do it. Mention his name. Talk about him. All the, the funny stories, the memories, you know, bring those up. And then, and I think that helps people that you're talking to feel more comfortable when you're around them. Every day since that accident, I has I have said his name out loud to somebody. And that somebody may be Katrina. But a lot of times it's guys at work. If you can do that, like Katrina said, it kind of opens the door to where they may tell a funny story. And especially when we're around some of his, his buddies, you know, we, we'll start telling a Kindle story and and one thing that really makes me proud is is to hear somebody say, well, he was your son. I see where he gets it. Um, in the grief there, I'm feeling proud. And so grief is a lot of emotions. And one thing we like to say when somebody says, it's been five years, get back to normal. We'll look at him and say, normal is just a setting on the dryer. That's all normal is. Relationships don't end just because someone died. Those people and all they represent within us, all our memories, all our stories remain. And in continuing to say their names and tell their stories, we keep them close to us. Death doesn't erase all of the warmth and richness that they brought to our lives, and we don't have to give that up. Um, There used to be this idea that the goal of grief was to come to a point of acceptance and detachment from what used to be. And the thinking now 
is more that it can be a healthy, comforting, positive thing to continue to have a relationship with that person who died as we move forward in our lives. Katrina and Duane attended Memorial Weekend in October 2018. They were astonished to connect with so many other families who understood the depth of their loss. Even though it's a total blur, our eyes were opened to, there's other people here that have lost somebody, and they're smiling. They're helping us. They're, they're doing anything they can for us. And, and the first time we were at the store where you can go get souvenirs. And so we're in this store, and this couple comes up, and they're from Wisconsin. They lost their son, Jameson. I like to mention their names because we like to hear the names. Jameson was killed in the line of duty, and they come up to us, talk to us, want to know about our hero. We tell them. We ask them about theirs. They tell us. That's just what you do when you're there. And so then when we went back to help, we caught ourselves walking up to people and, hey, tell us about your hero. Because we know that we want to talk about them. They're not going to hear that at their home. They're not going to see, they're not going to walk into Walmart and somebody walk up to them, hey, tell me about your hero. But it does here at the National Fallen Firefighters. There were people there that weekend that I connected with, that I am still connected with. And it's like a family you don't want to be a part of, but you're happy to be a part of. Those connections that you make all over the United States at Memorial Weekend that we feel we have connected with and will forever be connected with, it just eases your mind to know that there are other people that are in your shoes that have been what you've been through, you have that special connection with them. And then when COVID hit, you know, everything was canceled. So they set up the Wednesday night Zoom meetings. In 2020, the foundation paused all in-person programs and events due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The weekly peer support group provided Fire Hero family members a chance to meet virtually and share stories, struggles, and ideas. Director of Family Programs, Bev Donlin, says connecting online offered some unexpected pluses. We used the breakout groups in Zoom. We learned that this was fabulous, that we could say, okay, here's a mother's group, here's a father's group, here's, you know, a sibling's group. We just say hello. And then we're like, okay, we're going to put you in your breakout groups. And then they go into that group and we are out in the hallway waiting, you know, basically the virtual hallway so that they have their hour and they can discuss what they want to and it's private. And then they come back and they're like, thank you. And it just gives them that connection. It works especially for those people who wouldn't travel, who maybe not aren't able to travel, you know, for whatever reason, children, finances, whatever the reason. If they can't travel, they've got this outlet. We have something there for them, too. So that made us, that was our silver lining. With the Zoom meetings, uh, we, we love them. We, we look forward to them every week. You know, if somebody's having surgery or something's going on in their personal life, you're just there to support them. It's not all about the loss of your hero. And if something's going on in your life, you can share it. It doesn't go any further than that group. And they're there to support you. 
Zoom started with National Fallen Firefighters, and, and you might think, what's the big deal in that? Well, these new families that couldn't go to the memorial because of COVID now met families and they were learning about National Fallen Firefighters before they were really inducted, if you will, without the memorial. There's a family in California that uh, lost their their brother. We call them the California girls. They They looked at us and asked us a question because they wanted to know what their parents were feeling. That's when it really hit me that this Zoom is wonderful. Those California girls asked us questions and how we feel, how we did this, what we did here. And they'd come back the next week and say that helped. They, they figured out why their dad was acting the way he was or or what why their mom was doing this. And it was it, it opened their eyes a little bit. And then we could ask them questions because, like I said, we our daughter, we don't know some things. And so so how are you two doing now that you lost your brother? And what things do you do to think about him? At first, I was a little hesitant. You know, do I really want to open myself up to these people that I don't know? But now it's like, yes, I want to, I can't wait for Wednesday night. You know, so that emotional and mental health from that aspect has been very beneficial. I can't thank the foundation enough for starting that. You know, it's the little things that you don't even think about that will help you in the long run. Yeah, And then the men's group, I was like... (laughs) Finally, I get other guys to talk to. The the men's group, Men Forging Ahead. Bev Donlin says the foundation established this virtual support group for men ages 18 and up after being forced to change their plans for an in-person retreat. It was going to be our first retreat for men only, the fathers, the sons, the brothers, the stepsons. And unfortunately, with the pandemic, we had to cancel it for two years straight. So we we're like, how are we going to connect these men So we started with the Men Forging Ahead. It's very informal. It's a support and fellowship kind of group. Uh, They meet once a month on Zoom. Um, And the men have told me that they have great conversation on many different topics as they relate it to their fall of firefighter heroes and how they um, dealt with their loss. I was the newest one there, if you will. Everybody else's hero had passed years before. And so when I'd have to talk about Kindle, I would I would get broke down. I, I couldn't finish and I'd have to wait and they would, hey, it's okay. We're crying with you. And so you'd get through it. And then the next month, somebody new would get in. And so you'd have to go over it again. But it feels good to tell your story and hear their stories. Five years after Kendall's death... Dwayne says he still struggles with regret and anxiety. He feels responsible for encouraging Kendall to become a volunteer firefighter and can feel overcome with worry when he's on duty at the fire station in Washington, as he was the night of Kendall's accident. Katrina can always tell when Dwayne's had a hard night. He'll be, I'm going to say, agitated almost. He's, uh, he might be a little bit grumpy. Uh, but uh, if I can get him to talk about it, just to get it off of his chest, to get it out, to hear it spoken into words, I think helps him. And on those overnight shifts, when he's away from home and Katrina's asleep, Dwayne has a new lifeline to his friends in Men Forging Ahead. I got him 
in my phone under men forging ahead so I can get onto that group and find all the guys in there. Um, we, we now text each other. We, we call each other on their heroes anniversary date. Tell them we're thinking of them. Jenny Woodall says these connections, whether we make them in person, online, or via text messages, are essential to our health and well-being. Social connection increases our sense of safety and belonging, both of which can be really challenged during times of loss. And fundamentally, just knowing that we don't have to figure it all out on our own and do it by ourselves helps decrease anxiety and stress. Grief can't be fixed, so presence becomes really fundamental to supporting people who are going through that very unique and personal process. Taking care of yourself, you hear that mentioned a lot. We used to get up in the morning and walk two miles every morning before I'd go to work, before she'd go to work. And we haven't done that since Kendall's accident. And I don't know if it's if it's just because we're getting older and aches and pains, or I kind of look at it as I lost my gumption. Self-care during grief is not optional. It's essential. The emotions come when they come. They last as long as they last. So basic, boring wellness practices become really important during this extended period of elevated stress, which you can't control. But there is a lot you can control, and you have choices around that. One of the keys in everything related to grief is flexibility and gentleness with yourself. What you need now might not be what you needed before. You know, maybe you used to go to hot yoga, and now you need to go to gentle yoga. Maybe you used to run marathons, and now you need to go take a quiet, meditative walk in the forest. It will shift over time. And it will continue to shift as you move through the process of grieving. For Katrina and Dwayne, staying active now means trying to keep up with their next-door neighbors, otherwise known as their daughter Kelsey, son-in-law Eric, and three grandkids. The house beside us came up for sale. We kind of told Kelsey and Eric, hey, this house is for sale. Would you like it? (laughs) And so they they are our next-door neighbors, which is wonderful. Uh, Hopefully, they feel the same. The grandkids can run back and forth. They keep us going. They are our motivation. And during COVID-19, they came up with another routine for nurturing their connection with each other. Katrina and I, we bought a golf cart that we could ride around town, and and we would go out in the evenings and, and be together. Katrina and Dwayne Murphy and some of Kendall's friends set up a scholarship program in his memory. Funds raised through various 5Ks, golf scrambles, and other sports-related events go to set up college savings plans for incoming kindergartners. Since 2018, they've raised more than $15,000. On the next episode of Grief in Progress, we'll introduce you to Mary Hollis, a Fire Hero family member who wrote her next chapter by creating a vibrant community and resources for widows. Thank you for listening to the Grief in Progress podcast, a production of the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving a positive review. For transcripts and other episode extras, visit griefinprogress.com. To learn more about the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, visit firehero.org.